Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has over 25 years of law enforcement analysis experience, all with the Green Bay Police Department in Green Bay, Wisconsin. She is the founding member, former secretary, and current president of the Wisconsin Law Enforcement Analyst Network, also known as Wiley, representing the great state of Wisconsin. Please welcome Michelle Belongi. Michelle, how are we doing? Hi, Jason. Good. How are you? I am doing very well. How are things in Green Bay, Wisconsin? You know what? I have to say they have been beautiful this fall so far. I, I'm not one of those people. Everybody around here says they love fall. I, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan because I know that means winter is right behind it. I don't like the days getting shorter. Oh, yeah. But we've honestly, we've had some beautiful weather, beautiful colors, sunshine, warmth. Yeah, I haven't hardly turned my heat on yet. So it's been it's been really good. Very good. We got a couple of things to go into today. Definitely want to talk about Wileen and definitely want to get your perspective on your 25 years. For the listeners, we are going to do a call-in segment, Don't Be That Analyst. So if you have a Don't Be That Analyst, get your call in now. All right, Michelle, how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Well, a little bit of a of a long story. I'll try to make it short. But I started out at Carroll College down in Waukesha, Wisconsin, was going to be a, a social worker, transferred back up to St. Norbert's here in Green Bay, partway through my halfway through my sophomore year. They didn't have a social work program. I picked up a psychology and sociology with an emphasis in human services. I did an internship at the Department of Corrections with probation parole my senior year, always kind of interested in that criminal justice aspect, but just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was working at a local business here during college as well. I I made some wonderful friends. One of the agents that I worked with um, back in my internship is still one of my very best friends to this day. Amy Anderson, I'll give her a shout out. She's retired now, but but didn't didn't quite feel it. Was working at the business, saw an ad back in the day when you actually had advertised jobs in the newspaper and the classifieds for the Green Bay Police Department in the communication center. I decided to kind of make the the leap, so to speak. I took that job. And at the time, actually, when I went through my background, I was told that this analyst position was coming through city council. Unbeknownst to me at the time, the supervisors who did my background actually felt that I would be a good candidate for it and just went through the process and applied. And I still, to this day, I'm not quite sure how I actually (laughs) got the job, but I was just lucky, lucky that I did and have been doing it ever since. The chief that we had at the time was our first external chief. He had come from California. So back, I mean, this was back in 97, believe it or not. And back then the field of analysis was not something that was hot in the Midwest. Certainly it was out on the coast, but not so much here. Budgets were a lot more vibrant, I guess, back then, a little more flexible. Like I said, our chief was external at the time. He had come from California. He was the one who brought this idea. So yeah, so I started back in this position then in 1997 as the first analyst in the first position. And 
I just, I feel so lucky that I've been able to just see how much we've been able to grow it over the years and how much has changed. And it's just, it's really astonishing when you think about it. 25 years is really not all that long of a time <laughs> period. And yet it's, it's, there's been so much that has gone on. It's really incredible. Yeah. So what made you even take the position in the communications center? I was just looking for a change. I was working at a business here in town and I wasn't super, it was a good, good company. I just wasn't mm-hmm. super happy with some things that had gone on. And, and I just, like I said, I just saw it and I thought, well, what the heck, I'm going to give it a shot. And the the comm center, I was only in the comm center for six months. Mm-hmm. Our comm center a few years later went, we had our own comm center when, when I started, the Green Bay Police Department did. A few years later, it went to the county level. So now the county oversees the communication center and does all the dispatching for the entire county. But it was a great place to start because you saw how the CAD system worked. You saw how calls were dispatched, how just how all of that all of that worked. And it was so nice having our own dispatch center because we went to roll call with the officers. We knew we knew each other. We knew voices on the radio, all that kind of stuff, which was probably less these days. Obviously, I'm way removed from it now, but it was a good place to start. Yeah, it got your foot in the door. I've talked to several people now, whether it's records or whether it's the 911 center, it it, just getting the foot in the door and seeing other people see what your work ethic are, how pleasant you are, Hmm. who, who you are, and and then can vouch for you when these analyst jobs come up. Yeah, and I think I th- that's very true. Yeah, and I think I, I think that it's I think it can be difficult. I've said this on the show a couple of times now. It can be difficult for a twenty-something year old who's dreaming to be an analyst to maybe take one of these other jobs in in records or as a dispatcher. But I do believe those pay dividends in the end. Oh, a thousand percent. I think exactly what you're talking about. The department gets to see you. You get to see the department. It's a two-way mm-hmm. street, right? And and you get to see some of the back-end stuff that now you you touch in a different way as an analyst. You understand the bigger picture. And I, I just think that's really important is being able to understand the big picture. I mean, I one of the things I've, I've said along the way, if, if I were queen, what I would do is give more people, I guess, a cross-training sort of experience, right? Not just us doing ride-alongs, but going to court, going to... And, and fortunately, I've had a lot of that liberty, and I've known a lot of people in different aspects of the system. So I, I've been really fortunate that way. But understanding how agents work and what their restrictions are and what, what their responsibilities are and how the courts work and how just even I remember having an officer on light duty one time who was, this was years ago when we had different com- computer systems and whatnot, and we had set up a separate little database for some project with some municipal citations and whatnot and handwritten citations, and he was entering mm-hmm. them into the database that we had set up. And he was just like, man, when I go back on the road, I'm going to pay so much more attention to my handwriting now. <laughs> I mean, just just simple little things like that, that you don't you don't think about how your piece of the puzzle fits into the, the big piece of it. So, yeah, we just had a group of people this week at my job, basically half assed their budget. And 
didn't think it went anywhere. And here it's like their budget is one of like a key procedure. It's like <laughs> the executives see it. And so they had some ridiculous high budget number this month. And like they're getting crushed when they're with this report that compares actuals to budget. <laughs> and so they were like the same thing. Like, I didn't realize that this budget went anywhere. <laughs> right, right. I didn't know anybody actually looked at this and did anything with it. <laughs> like oops yeah so yeah yeah for sure. all right so t- take us back then you're walking in to the department you're already been there but you're walking in for the first time as being an analyst and yeah. it's it's a new position it's new to you it's new to the department and just uh, kind of take us through of like what what it was like maybe what your issues were what your goals were yeah well <laughs> i wish i had had some goals and what back then <laughs> i just looking back i feel like i just walked in like a, a blind you know I, I don't know i mean i had i don't remember having any goals any expectations any anything it was just mm-hmm. all right let's figure this out and literally i was i was put under when i first started under the training planning and research office which no longer even exists it, it exists in different capacities and names and whatnot but not exactly as that. And and there was a captain, and what a weird place, right, for that kind of position. Upstairs in the administrative offices where the joke is the air is really thin. And <laughs> it was literally like, here's your office. Here's, here's where the coffee maker is. Have a great day. Yeah. I, I mean, that was literally what I got from the captain that, and he was a good guy, but that I was reporting to. So, I mean, I, I don't, I wish I could remember. I wish I took better notes. I just literally started figuring things out and the IACA was and always has been an incredible resource. Even back then, I I did a lot on the discussion list than anytime I ran in, into any issues at all. And I will give huge shout outs to Chris Bruce, who is still a really good friend of mine to this day. And we've had the opportunity to be in person a number of times now over the years, which has been mm-hmm. fantastic. Brian Hill, who I was never fortunate enough to meet in person before he passed away, but he and I had a lot of exchanges and he helped me out with a lot of things along the way as well. And I'm sure there are a lot of other people in different capacities along the way too. Those are the two that really stood out to me from the beginning. So that was a really great place to start. But when I started, everything was so different and I always tell people now, I think the job that I did even 15 or 20 years ago is basically 100% different than what I'm doing today. It's just so much has changed. And even the few basic things that are the same from the stats or the tactical or whatnot, the processes and the resources and, and all of that are just so very different. When I started, we had a super old computer system that like one person in the whole department could even attempt to try to pull any any data out and there were some issues with that i came in as a very young female new person of the department so i wasn't always welcomed with a friendly smile and a and a happy to work with you kind of attitude <laughs> <laughs> so there were there were some of those challenges along the way but what I really started working with at the beginning then, because of because we didn't know what we wanted, because we didn't have a friendly systems to pull data out, that kind of thing, I really started working closely with our community police officers at the beginning. We had a very small community police office, uh, complete com- community policing unit at the beginning. It was relatively new, just a couple years old when I started. 
And these were really, in my opinion, the officers that were much more open to not the, not the old school thinking, right? Like, I don't need anybody's help. I can do it myself kind of thing. They're really open into what are all of our resources that we can pull together and and use. And so they were just a very welcoming group. And I started working with them on different projects that weren't even necessarily analysis, directly analysis related. But I think what that did over the years is definitely made a positive contribution in those programs that we developed. And we'll talk, maybe talk about some of those later. And I, and I think helped my credibility, helped build those relationships, all of that, so, which I believe that led to where we are at today. Most of those things are off of my plate now. So we can, I have a partner, focus on analysis type type stuff now more than we kind of did in the past. So. Yeah, it is interesting talking to a lot of analysts that are in your similar position, starting out, programs new, they're new, and there isn't a standard operating procedure. They're just going. There's some pluses and minuses to that, but you do get to carve your own path. And so you, you, I think like other analysts, you build rapport with a certain section of, of officer there. And you start doing products, you start doing doing some analysis or start completing projects. And then you 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 build the experience, you build the credibility there to to be to start doing more and more and maybe different things. But it is a similar path of what you're describing is what I've heard from from other analysts as well as how they got started. Oh, well, that's yeah, that's interesting. And I think that is a good point, right? We all do have our own paths with it. And I, th I think, again, that's one of the things that I've learned that, yes, we want to try to keep analysis at the forefront, but we're all there for one goal, right? Is to is to make our communities a great place to live. So how we do that doesn't always necessarily have to be so strictly defined, I guess. Yeah. So what was the, some of the pushback that you were getting in the beginning? Well, I think, first of all, again, where I was physically and organizationally located was not ideal upstairs on the mm -hmm. administrative floor. I mean, no, no patrol officer would <laughs> typically voluntarily come to see me. Right. Because, okay. I mean, I was two doors down from the chief's office for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just I, I think the pushback really came then when. Several years later, and, I, and it was probably around 2006 ish, 2005, 2006, the lieutenant that was in the drug task force, Tom Molitor, he eventually became our chief. He was promoted to our investigations commander. And I had really known him much before this, but he came to me as he was moving down into investigations and he said, Hey, do you want to come downstairs with me? And and honestly, the timing couldn't have been better because I was I was kind of bored at this point, and and I was kind of thinking maybe it was time to start looking around. In fact, I had I had looked at the state analysis center and whatnot. So I said absolutely, I would love to come downstairs with you. But I said I do have a a full plate now of of things I'm doing. So. I'll come downstairs, but if you're going to add to my plate, like we have to figure out what to do with that. Things need to go or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so what he ended up doing was not only bringing me downstairs with him to our investigative area, but then had a records clerk assigned to me to help with a bunch of the data entry stuff that we had going on. And this is the, 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 that kind of stuff that we had going on with some of the programs we were managing. So I got moved downstairs to our investigative area and I said, I had a, I had a, 
good sized office upstairs, which I didn't care about. I said, I don't care where you put me, but the secretary down there had retired. And I said, I just don't want to be in that same space in her cubicle because I don't, I don't want to be seen as the unit's replacement secretary, right? Sure. I, I want to be doing more than that. And he's like, yeah, I totally get it. I said, put me in the broom closet. I don't care where you put me. I'm just not there. <laughs> well, he puts me in the the off the the space, a, a very large space that they had been using as their break room that had a TV in it. And apparently if there was a Packer game on on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> when people were working, they would watch the game from there. So... So, and at that time, all of our, the majority, the vast majority of our positions, you were promoted by seniority. It was all seniority based. Uh So our detectives were a lot of, of very senior. Some of them were a little grumpy kind of guys, right? Um, Mostly male. And here I am, this still very young, still very newish, non-sworn female coming downstairs and I am taking their break room Packer game watching space. <laughs> so it wasn't, yeah, I wasn't necessarily welcomed with open arms by everybody down there. There were some guys who were really great. Don't get me wrong. But the day, the day I'm moving down there, I had recruited our secretary, our chief secretary at the time, who was a good friend of mine who has since passed away to help me. And every time we would come back downstairs with a load of stuff, there'd be this piece of cardboard over the doorway and I would just, I was so, when I look back at it, I look back at just how young and naive and sure. how I just, how I, how I just didn't pay attention to any, anything like that, which I guess was a good thing because maybe if I had, I would have taken it a little more personally or something, but <laughs> I never did. I just, I was like, whatever. Like I just, I would move the cardboard and I'd keep moving my stuff in and just, just things like that. And it, it, it was really interesting that, and again, I really had, I mean, I say this in hindsight, right? I really had no idea exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that I get assigned to do when I'm down there, we had a kind of a conspiracy amongst three high school students on one of our east side high schools that they were planning on doing a Columbine style attack to the school. And this had been in the planning for for a while before somebody, one of the other stu- one of the students, not one of these three, but another student who knew about it, leakage, right? came forward and and said something about it and started this whole investigation. And so over the course of, I don't remember exactly what it was now, a, a couple of years, uh, probably, these boys had been planning this. And at any given time, one, one was in, one was out, another was in, another was out kind of thing. It kind of went back and forth. But one of them ended up having a stockpile of stuff at their house. So there was definitely some credibility to it. So that was one of the first cases that I got assigned to help detectives with. And again, I had no idea what I was doing. There was, I mean, the resources were so different back then. And I really just kind of started putting together this ad hoc timeline, so to speak, that I did in an access database because I'm kind of an access junkie. Just showing, again, when people were in, when people were out, what was going on, what happened where, what happened when. And apparently the DA's office really liked it for whatever reason. I don't I don't know that anything ever went to trial. I think maybe there were plea agreements, whatever. I don't remember the, the details of that anymore. But it was it was at that point one of the grumpy old detectives <laughs> kind of warmed up to me, I guess. And and it was a little bit more welcoming after that. And then one yeah. day he came in and asked me if I wanted to go to an autopsy with him. 
<laughs> and I, I think he was kind of half kidding. And I think he was a little bit surprised when I said yes. <laughs> but yeah, so so I think I think that 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 helped as well. So yeah, it seems like there's almost a rite of passage for a civilian analyst is to win over the old grumpy guy. Like that's <laughs> right. like that's on the bingo card. If we have bingo right. cards as as analysts, that's definitely right. one of the accomplishments is is doing that. I think all the other sworn positions are so regimented. And they're very strict on hierarchy. Like you're not going to have a patrolman just go up to the police chief and have a meeting with with him or right. her. That's not well, going to happen, right. right? It's very strict in terms of the level of command for communication. Whereas a civilian analyst, I mean, you might have one hour you're meeting with the patrol officer the next, you're dealing with an investigator, a captain, a deputy chief, and even in the chief, and that could be your entire morning. Like you right. have full reign of that level that most people at the police department don't have. Right, right. And I do like that. We're, I mean, Green Bay is on the map because of the Packers and whatnot, but we're still a fairly small-sized town. We're only about 107 or so population. Our department is 100 and under 190 in the 180s in terms of sworn officers and our, our chief is very open door so there is there's not necessarily those those thick layers always like that but i think your point still is very well valid that as analysts we're we're all over the board which is one mm -hmm. of the things that i absolutely love right whether it's working with our open records requests or our patrol officers or detectives or command staff it's it's all over the place yeah all right, we buzzed over the timeline here for your analyst badge story. So let's get into your analyst badge story before we continue. So the analyst badge story is a career defining case or project that an analyst works. So for you, it's 2006 and you're, you're dealing with these community police officers on a chronic nuisance project. Yeah, so what happened back then is this idea of chronic nuisance came from a, a city attorney at the time. I think he got it, if I'm not mistaken, from Joliet, Illinois, and kind of stole their ideas to what they had <laughs> going on in terms of this chronic nuisance. And we got it passed on the books as an ordinance, and then it kind of sat there, and he left. He left, and it kind of sat there. And about a year later, council, somebody from council was like, well, hey, we passed this. What's going on with this? Why aren't we using it? So it kind of fell back to the police department, and then it came down to our community police officers, who, like I said, I was, had been working with closely on other stuff, and it fell into to my lap, primarily. And it really just, it was one of those things that I thought was going to be the EOD, the emergency of the day. It was going to be the mm -hmm. hot thing today. We had to jump in it. We had to do it, whatever. And three or even six months from now, I mean, nobody's going to remember what even happened. And I could have been more wrong. And I <laughs> love the fact that I was wrong, honestly, because not only did it, it stick, but it developed into this really elaborate, not exactly comprehensive, this really mm -hmm. comprehensive program and other related programs around it as well, dealing with problem properties and rentals and, and all sorts of different things related to that. Part of the reason why I was wrong is because it worked. I think we saw anecdotally that it was effective. And so we just kept, we kept going with it and we kept developing it further and further and, and getting better and better with it. 
And to the to the point that, oh, gosh, I don't even remember what year anymore now. But we did a study with Professor Troy Payne from Anchorage, Alaska. He actually took our chronic nuisance data and, and our calls for service and whatnot and did this whole study on it to show not just anecdotally, but mm-hmm. I guess scientifically, right, that the program was effective and not just in the short term. He was able to show that there was some long-term impact to it as well. So that was just that that whole program and the related programs, I'm just, I am very, very proud of because I do think that it's had such a positive impact. And, and it was something that I was initially wrong about. But, and I think it's one of those things that, this is the other piece that I that I really love about it, is that it's not just arresting our way out of the problem. It is kind of a different approach, right? So it's just, there's a, there's a lot that I really appreciate about, about that whole thing. And, and as of a year or two ago, I don't take care of it anymore. It was moved to our crime prevention staff, but yeah, I think it was just a really good project and, and it was a definitely a department wide endeavor, but I was, I was proud to be involved with it. Yeah. And those that may be unfamiliar with a chronic nuisance program and just describe it for them. Yeah. So what chronic nuisance basically says, or at least ours, and I think a lot of these are very similar. I think a lot of other places, honestly, have modeled theirs off. I know locally and it's gone beyond locally have modeled theirs off of what we do as well. Again, not that we're necessarily the very originators, but I think we took it to a, a pretty full extent. If if there's, if there's, so there's a lot of parameters that go into it, but essentially if we have a problem property, we have certain types of offenses happening under certain conditions, that sort of thing. We're very cautious not to punish the victim, so to speak, a kind of thing that we can bring in the property owner and we have a conversation with them and we go through what we call an abatement plan. How are we going to rectify the problems here? We talk about best practices, if it's a rental, all those sorts of things. And then if they are not making a good faith effort, quote unquote, per the ordinance to uh, address the situation, then we can start billing that owner for subsequent nuisance activity to that property, which again is an interesting piece of it because it's it's billed as a service. If they don't pay the bills, it goes in their property taxes. We can also cite them for maintaining a public nuisance under city ordinance. So there's a couple different, I guess, consequences to the property owner. And the interesting thing is the, the most difficult problems that we have to solve really are the owner-occupied problems because there's there's not that layer of guardianship I guess you could you know say in there those are the really difficult ones another tool that we've used in this whole process is chapter 823 from Wisconsin state statutes which is basically a closure and over the years we've we've literally closed a few properties where people mm. are, are are literally it's not an eviction but they have to leave the property and it goes through a court they're they're temporarily restrained from the property goes through a whole court process. But those are so, and we do those very sparingly because that's an extreme, that's an extreme case and extreme consequence. But the impact that it has on those neighborhoods is is what I always think about with everything at the end of the day. What, How is this neighborhood being affected by this activity? Whether it's that nuisance activity coming from the address, whether that's drug activity, whether that's shots fired, how disruptive is that to that neighborhood? And one one house can really cause chaos in a neighborhood. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because it does put some responsibility back on the landlord, the the owner of the property, because we went through a similar process 
at Cincinnati Police Department. And one of their biggest complaints was like, well, how am I even supposed to know type of thing? And, and that's so something that we, we tackled very early on. Yes. Yeah. So we set up a way. I'm like, okay, asked and answered. So here's, right. here's, your, here's your online database and here's yep. your indicators. And if you need a, a notification, here's your notification of when the, the police are called or any city service is called to your property. This is here it is. So, yep. Um, yeah, we have we have several different ways. That was one of the things we tackled very early on back in 2006 with community policing. That was the feedback that they got. How am I supposed to know? And so we have an automated program that sends an email that they can sign up for. We have our open records releases. We have our calls online. And then our officers, they can also fill out a form to send a letter to the property owner with a little more detail in it if they feel the situation warrants. So there's really no excuse. We, we try to take away all the excuses from the from the property owner about being responsible. And, and it's a business, right? If it's a rental, you're running a business, just like we hold liquor licenses accountable for what happens at their establishments, we're gonna hold landlords. And I am a landlord myself, so I, I'm i right in there on that same, that same boat. So I think there's a lot of great landlords out there who love this stuff, who wanna know what's going on. This is for those that maybe aren't paying as much attention to kind of hold their feet to the fire a little bit as well. And I love it when I hear from officers <laughs> that that the, the tenants were like, please don't tell my landlord or we get a call from a landlord. Oh, my God, am I going to get a bill for this when we, we explain everything? But that little bit of fear is it can be a good thing, right? Like it, it, it means that, that they're aware of what's going on and, and that there's consequences and whether they're doing it for the right reason or they're doing it because they don't want to get a bill, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that, that is true. And so I, and it, this gets also into the, the laws on the books in terms of evictions, right? right. Because, because if you're a landlord, I mean, look at, at some point in time, if you're going to hit me with a bill, for what this resident's doing, then at some point in time, I need to be able to get rid of him or her for not following the ordinance. And so obviously different cities, different states have different laws on eviction. Right. Well, Jason, we could talk about all that all day long as well. And if you read Matthew Desmond's book, uh, Evicted, a fantastic, interesting book actually based out of his work, some of his work that he did in Milwaukee. It's fascinating. I actually saw him speak when he was here locally one time, and he has a new one out now in poverty, which is also fascinating. But but we were not about eviction. We were about property owners managing their business property, whether that's a rental property, a, a commercial business, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. and about the occupants of that property behaving properly. That's what it comes down to. And we have a bunch of ways to help make that happen short of eviction. So we have no trespasses. We have curfews. We have all these different pieces that we can help with short of eviction as well, because we do recognize that eviction is very disruptive to the individual's life. But at the same time, I'm going to argue that you you don't keep somebody in place simply because they're going to move on somewhere else. That's an argument that we would hear all the time. And I think while some people are maybe a little more transient than I might be with my house full of stuff that would take me months to move, moving is still very disruptive to your life. Mm -hmm. Finding new schools for your kids, finding new transportation routes, finding new grocery stores. You're not as close to that liquor store. The All, all of your stuff that and and maybe your friends know that the heat is on a little bit and and want to kind of stay away. So, I don't think the 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 disbursement from that is a one to one ratio by any means. So, I, mm -hmm. I the argument of just keeping them there because they're going to go somewhere else, I think is 
not appropriate either. But again, eviction isn't our goal. Our goal mm-hmm. is the proper behavior and peace in the neighborhood, running your business properly. Hi, I'm Svetlana Gubin, business analyst from Oakland Police Department. And my advice, don't afraid to discover something new. Just try do some small steps, find the people who can support you, and it will help you in a regular life, in your future job, and you will be surprised how more doors will open to you. Hey there, this is Jessica Ellsmore, and this is your friendly daily reminder to remember why you started. Keep your passion, stay involved, and just remember what got you interested in crime analysis. About 2006, 2007, you get into more investigative support, as you mentioned there. So what does the the next couple of years look like then as we're trying to bring, take our guests up to speed to where you are now? Yeah. So, yeah, we just start getting into more, more case support. We start getting into more cell phone analysis. We've had geo time now for a number of years that we use to do cell phone analysis. We start monitoring social media more. Again, 25 years ago, nobody had Facebook. I don't, what, I don't know what, mm-hmm. what year Facebook started, but I don't remember <laughs> Facebook being around 25 years ago. Just all of that. So we, we started dabbling in, in all of those sorts of things that gets us to where we are today with our, with our case support, doing whatever we can along those lines as well. Yeah. Hmm. So speaking of geotime, what's what's your opinion of the of that product just as a user? Well, I mean, I know a lot of other agencies around the state and our state analyst center, they use Cellhawk. We started on Geotime. I love Geotime. We've always gotten fantastic support from them. I love the product. I, I wish I actually used it more. We're just pulled in so many different directions all the time that mm-hmm. that we don't always use it for as much as we could. But we have flat cameras now. That's another thing, obviously, that we didn't have 25 years ago. So I've been able to pull out flock data and put that into GeoTime as well and and map that too. Saying, so are you saying flack? Flock, the flock, the license plate reader system. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a super huge fan of GeoTime. And then do you have a decent records management system or is it RMSC oh, or what no, are I'm, you still are you still entering <laughs> stuff by hand on a piece of paper or what are you doing? I I am so glad you asked that question, Jason, because I was actually listening to one of your podcasts the other day. I can't remember exactly who it was. I'd have to look it up. But she was like, I, I want to meet somebody who loves her RMS system. And I just wanted to call her up. <laughs> I wanted to call her up because we have our own homegrown RMS system. Wow. Um, we have two IT um, programmers on staff um, and a couple other IT um, network technician type positions. They're all fabulous. I'm so grateful that we put the resources into our IT staff. That's huge. But we have actually, he's a captain now at our sheriff's department in the county. But years ago, well, probably 2006, 2007 is when we actually went live with it. 
he he started making like he came he has a programmer background and he's just started making little widgets or apps or whatever if they were apps back then to kind of <laughs> assist patrol officers and that evolved into him being put on assignment to develop our own record system which is what we still use today with our in-house programmers and there are things that I would change about it of course but mm-hmm. I hear so many people gripe about their RMS systems And I just, I don't know that it could go to any other department, honestly, because (laughs) I would just be so so missing our, 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 everything is at our fingertips. A lot of details are transcribed. If I come in and I'm trying to read a case and the details aren't, aren't transcribed yet from last night, I get irritated. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, there's going to be hell to pay. (laughs) What's going on? I mean, other places talk about their data not being turned around for weeks or even months, which is just uh, absolute insanity to me. Uh, our our reports are available at our fingertips almost, I don't want to say instantaneously, but very, very quickly, very quickly. Everything is is in there. We use evidence.com for all of our video and whatnot, statements, details, all the coding, everything is right there for us to access. So outside of the physical evidence that's obviously stored in our, our evidence, like just about everything is right there for us. Hmm. Is the CAD as well? In CAD now? is different. No, CAD, we have Motorola CAD system sure. flex. So yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So I think one of the benefits of having an in-house system is that you can actually find somebody that knows the ins and outs of the software and right. explain to you exactly where a data set is or it's not going to be or or whatnot. It's you yeah. actually have something that is built. I'm sure everything that's built in there is built because somebody asked for it at that department. And so everything has that purpose. And yeah. so the the fact that you're dealing with the authors of the software has a huge benefit. Oh, right, right. No, absolutely. Our IT staff is great. Anytime we can't figure out how to get to something, they're they're there to answer that question immediately for us. And when we want something changed or whatever, I mean, we can make those 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 tweaks. So, yeah, it's it's I can't I can't honestly rave about it enough. So, so you have an RMS. It's not RMSy. Right. Yes. <laughs> nice. It's sweet. Yes. Yeah. So, man, I actually thought when you first said that, I thought it was like, no, it's it's awful. We don't even have a system and we're still doing stuff by hand and entering information in, in the computer. That's what I thought. You- I'll tell you. And, and this is we've talked about this with our state organization, right? That, I mean, no system is 100 percent perfect. No sy- sure. system is going to capture all the data that you really want. And again, even back in 2007, when this system was set up, we didn't we didn't see the kind of overdoses, for example, that we see today. We didn't see the kind of shots fired that we see today. So those are just two examples of data that is not captured in the system the way that I personally would like to see it or I would find it conducive for pulling out. So again, I'm old school. I'm an access lover. So we have some of we still have some of our own separate databases. I track we we track shots fired separately. We track overdoses a little bit separately. But that's okay. I mean, I'm okay with that. I in the long run, yes. Would I like to see more of that built into our RMS? Absolutely. But I'm not gonna let that limit me from what I think we need to do either. So Yeah, I I think the one downside to having a homegrown RMS is if the people leave, right? If the the people that 
build it or the, the IT staff that knew everything, that knowledge, if they leave, that really puts the department behind the eight ball. Yeah, which is a good thing that we have the two programmers who work in mm -hmm. it. Hopefully they both don't go in on the lottery together <laughs> and get lucky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure, for sure. Wishing, that, that's... wishing them they never have richness and happiness. <laughs> right, right. May you never, may you never, yes. So let's move on then. As I mentioned in your intro that you are one of the founding members of uh, Wyland. And so talk about that story. How did this law enforcement analyst network come to be? Yeah, so when I first started, I really only knew of a couple other analysts from around the state. I, I believe I was the only non-sworn at the time that I, that I at least knew of. I knew of a couple of sworn analysts from Milwaukee. Appleton PD actually had a sworn analyst at one point early on in my career who then went back on the road and they kind of had some evolutions back and forth. But, and I had, I had worked a little bit with them and whatnot, but then... I don't know, probably let's say maybe 15-ish years ago, maybe a little bit less, I started hearing about more and more positions from around the state. And I just felt like we should be connected. Mm -hmm. So I hosted a meeting in Green Bay. I'd have to look back. I still have notes in it. I'd have to look back to see exactly when that was. But I hosted a meeting back in Green Bay and we had a really good turnout. I mean, we had the analysts from La Crosse, which is like a three and a half hour drive from, from here, come and, and people from the Madison and whatnot. So we had a really nice turnout and we just kept meeting and we decided we wanted to formally organize. That was a little bit of a process to kind of figure out. I, I never, I never intended to be president ever at any point <laughs> because I had a full plate. But I wanted to get this group going, so I initially started as our secretary, and other people stepped up to board positions, and somebody figured out our bylaws and all those kinds of details and, and got us going. Well, then our first president left, and then our she was with the state, and somebody else from the state then stepped up to be president, Melissa Marchand, who is now a, she does like the missing persons work for the state. She's fantastic. She took on that role. So she left the analysis world and I was the vice president at the time. So I, you know, I agreed to move into the presidency and I've been stuck Next with person it. Up. <laughs> yeah. I've been stuck with it ever since, but I mean, I just can't, I can't tell you how much I love it. I can't tell you what, I mean, we've just got a fantastic, our, our board, I'm always telling our board how much I love them, but it's really true. We're all just fabulous. We all get along well. We all just step up and, and do what we need to do. And even our even our treasurer, she keeps great records and she makes different notes that came in really handy this last time when we were trying to figure out some of our other membership record keeping. And she kept track of, of not only who's paying, but when they're paying, what they're paying for, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's just fantastic. So we just have a fantastic, fantastic board that I just really love. Our membership is great. We have an in-person meeting every fall. We just had ours a couple weeks ago now for this last year. And we have so much fun. We always have a little bit of a different, we have, have all those old, old classics who show up, but we always mm -hmm. have some new faces and a mix of people. And we use groups.io as our, our kind of our landing board webpage discussion board list. Mm. So we can email each other. It's, I mean, I just, I can't say enough about it. All right. No, that's, that's impressive. So I was just going to ask you if you had a conference, but it seems like you have that yeah. in-person meeting every, every fall. Yeah. Um, and we try to do webinars throughout the year. And then, yeah, we do some regional meetings as well. I know kind of our Northeast Wisconsin area has a couple regional meetings every year. 
and I know the Milwaukee area too, they kind of do their own thing. Obviously they've got kind of some of their own issues and whatnot too. So they do Mm. some regional meetings as well. Yeah. Is there anything coming up or anything new that you're working on? No, we're kind of on the, we're kind of taking a breather right now because we're Mm -hmm. coming off of our conference. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of on the downswing a little bit. All right. All right. Very good. Let's go on for some advice for our listeners. What advice would you have maybe either for a new analyst, for an experienced analyst? Oh, gosh. Well, I I mean, I'm I'm full of good advice that I don't always take myself, right? But I'll tell you what, everybody talks about skill sets in terms of mapping and bulletin making and and access and databases and all that sort of thing. And those are all really, really good. And I don't want to diminish those at all. But I am a huge believer in soft skills also, right? I want to work with people who might not know it all, but who have the tenacity to figure it out, who have the drive to figure it out, who are willing to push themselves, who are good team players, who are approachable, who have the right mindset. I think I'm a big, big, big believer in mindset. Just all of that. So, I I mean, and I know there's always this talk too. My partner actually has a master's degree. I have a bachelor's. We actually both graduated from St. Norbert's, although a few years apart, but he he's got a master's and we we kind of have this little bit of a debate back and forth about education versus experience and sure. i mean they're both important right but again i just i just think not just having the right skill set but being the right person is really important as well so i i just think that's huge and that's something that is not going to change over time that is going to be something that you are going to take with you for the rest of your life in any position anywhere. Yeah, I, it is interesting. It, it, talking a lot about training and education, and it it does seem like when you're first starting out and you graduate high school, you have you can go to college, and it seems like you go to college for so long, but then you're yearning for practical experience. And then if you, for those that don't go to school or maybe go to the military or whatnot, that you get some practical experience, but then you're yearning for the education and the degree. And it seems like we're, they're both, both those groups are yearning by the time they're 23, 24 year old, years old, have both a, a degree and practical experience. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I say to my partner again that like, I don't know if I would have gotten this job now today coming in. I mean, uh, when, when, when that, when my old partner left and that position was open, the candidates, all the top candidates were all on the younger side. They all had masters and they all had at least some experience. And so it's almost intimidating, right? Like I only have a bachelor's, but yeah. you can't, you can no longer afford the house that you live in, right? Yeah. Like in your neighborhood, you're if I had to buy in this neighborhood now. I don't think I could afford right? it. Yeah, right? no, that's, a, that's exactly it. And he always says, oh, but, but your experience. And, and I tell you, I feel my age a little bit too. And I say this all the time, like all the new software we've got coming in and, and trying to learn and whatnot, like my neurons aren't firing as good as they used to, it feels <laughs> like either, but, but it, it's good. We complement each other in that respect, but the grass is always greener, right? Like, oh, I should sure. have had a master's. I should have more experience. I should have more of this. I should have more of that, but we got to stop comparing ourselves to each other as well. Even from analyst to analyst. Oh, this, an- I, I catch myself doing it. Like I look at our drug task force analysts and they are rock stars when it comes to 
cell phone data and whatnot. And it's like, oh man, like it, it's a little intimidating, right? But it's like, okay, well, that's what they do all day long. Like that's that's fantastic that they're so accomplished. That's not that's not how we operate. We operate a little bit differently. It's not a comparison. It's not a competition. Like so. Yeah, but back to your point about soft skills, though, I, I would say that was really a big deficiency when I was first going out in the into the job market and going on these interviews. I think my grades and my degrees got me interviews. But mm. there's there's jobs that I lost because of my verbal communication at the interview. Sure. Like I, I, I truly believe that because I still was went through a period of shyness and intimidation and was not always comfortable talking to strangers and mm. different people and right. and, and right. that uh, environment. And I, I truly believe that there was jobs that I lost because of how I interviewed. And and I believe that those skills are like a muscle, right? You have to use them and you have to challenge them and push them just a little bit more to make them stronger. So you want to be a better communicator, you have to communicate a little bit more. You want to have better relationships or make better connections. You have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And one of the things one of our old chiefs did, and he was kind of an odd duck in some regards, but he'd go to meetings and he just would immediately introduce himself to, to everybody around him. And I was like, dang, that's like, that's fantastic. Because everybody sits at a meeting, right? You get into a meeting where nobody knows each other, right? And everybody just sits there waiting for the meeting to start. And then maybe after it starts, if you introduce yourselves and things warm up and whatnot, why do we, why do we wait? Why do we all sit there and wait? Like <laughs> start talking to each other right away. Like it's just, I mean, maybe it's, it's silly, but it's just simple things like that, that I think can really make a difference. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's take some calls. Now we're going to play, play a call in segment. Don't be that analyst. And uh, for those that may have never heard this segment, this is uh, callers saying something that they've seen analysts do that maybe they shouldn't be doing. So we have some callers on the line. First up is Amanda. Amanda, what's your don't be that analyst? Don't publish a bulletin or a pattern project that is more than one to two pages in length. Keep it concise. What do you think about that? I, I think that's I think that's overall, that's pretty good advice. I mean, sometimes it depends what we're calling bulletins, right? Sometimes some of our Intel work, you just need a lot more. We had shots fired a bunch of cases a couple of falls ago with a bunch of different people involved and just to get all of their faces and information out there it took several pages, but that was, that was more of an Intel document, I guess, rather than a bulletin, but yeah, for sure. Get your, you know, keep it simple, keep it straightforward. Absolutely. Concise. Yeah, I think the big word is concise there because you definitely, as everybody knows, we get hundreds of emails a day and throwing out a, a bulletin, you have to uh, make it short and sweet for people to be able to consume and move on to the next email because they're going through multiple emails, especially if you're sending out bulletins to neighboring jurisdictions. I mean, there is just so many things to go through each and every day that, number one, you have to make sure your sticks out and reads well, looks good, but it also has to be concise. So I I, I do agree with that assessment to just keep it, keep it concise. All right. Next on the line is Leslie. Leslie, what's your don't be that analyst? 
my don't be that analyst is don't be that person who does not brief your agents what your capabilities are. They don't know. Don't expect them to read your minds. They won't know what to ask for. So you have to tell them what your capabilities are. Yeah, I think that's a good one for you, especially when you first began. I'm sure that not everybody even knew what the analyst role was when you first started. Yeah, I would say not only to make sure you tell them what you're capable of, show them. Don't wait to be asked for something. Put something out there. And it's the idea of of throw the spaghetti at the wall, right? Like, just do a bunch of stuff. See what sticks. Some things are going to fall off the wall, and that's okay. But like with our chronic nuisance program, some things are going to end up sticking, and they're going to stick for a reason. So Yeah, I think it also is important, this is for supervisors of analysts, to really understand what they can do because they're the ones that can also sell others on analyst capabilities like you you are going to impress by doing but it is beneficial that analyst supervisors have a clear understanding of the capabilities of the analyst and can make suggestions that certain analysts take certain projects. But I'll tell you, I think it's really important that we're our own champions and not wait for our supervisors or anybody else to to be that. And I know so many people are uncomfortable. And we, uh, most of us are, right? About thinking we're talking about how great we are kind of thing. But boy, if you're not going to let people know what you're doing and how it's working and that sort of thing, who, who's going to do it? I mean, maybe your supervisor, but mm-hmm. that doesn't always happen. So we can't, we have to be humble but yet be proud of what we're doing and make sure that everybody is aware of it, right? Yeah, I, the way she put that, I, I envision like an analyst sulking because they're not doing what maybe they <laughs> right. wanna do or that they're frustrated and they're complaining and yet at the same time, they've never actually demonstrated or put their foot forward to show what they can do. Right, right. And that just, again, goes back to like, you got to just get out there. And that's one of those soft skills, in my opinion, right? Like you can't be, I guess, shy, for lack of a better word, like, you got to put your you got to be willing to put yourself out there. And you might fall flat on your face. So be it. Like, just start doing it. Yeah, that's true. So, all right, next on the line is Jason. Jason, what's your don't be that analyst? Don't be the analyst that does not change the heat map images on your intelligence briefing just because you don't think that anyone will notice. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, that's funny uh-huh. that he makes that sound like that actually happened because that was <laughs> that used to be like a running dare at a department right? that I worked. Like, we we would have these weekly meetings and somebody dared the other analyst to put up the same map from one week to the next to see if anybody would notice that it was the same map. I I love that. And honestly, like we put out a lot of uh, stuff. We put out a weekly what's called the crime control report with a that's a longer document with a bunch of stuff in it. And I I got an email several hours after I put it out saying hey, you don't need to update anything, but just the picture of this juvenile that you put in there was actually a different juvenile. Well, our our school log photos were down and I was watching all sorts of body cam trying to figure out who was who to grab some pictures of these kids. And I just grabbed the wrong image from the body cam. And I was like, oh man, I hate, I hate it when that happens. But then I was like, but wait a minute, 
that means that you actually read it and not just like <laughs> skim, not just like skimmed it, right? Yeah. You read it close enough that you knew that picture and that name did not match. Like that, that to me was still success. Yeah, no, I, I like it. All right, next on the line is Andrew. Andrew, what's your don't be that analyst? Uh, don't be that analyst that tells the, your supervisor the the wrong information just for for expedience and avoiding to have to answer questions. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you know, without saying not to lie to your supervisor. But apparently, Andrew uh, saw another analyst do that. I, I, yeah, I I mean I, I don't know what more to say. <laughs> I was just like, well, I just wanted to tell him what he wanted to hear, so I lied to him because <laughs> I I didn't want to do it either. So it's I want to be over here doing stuff, and I didn't want to deal with whatever that uh, sergeant was wanting me to do. So oh boy. All right. Last but not least is Sabrina. Sabrina, what's your don't be that analyst? Don't be that analyst who introduces themselves with all your titles and accolades at meetings. No one will remember them and no one really cares. A simple name and analyst would do the trick. Yeah, I'd, yeah, that's that's an interesting one, too, that you, you have all these abbreviations after people's names, even in an email. Like, it seems like it can right. go on. It can go on and on and on. And we have, I think we have them on our our badges at work too. So it's interesting to put them on there, I guess it's understandable that at least people can either read them or not read them if you put them on the signature of an email, but to introduce yourself and basically give a synopsis of your resume does seem like a little much. <laughs> it, it does. That, that actually I have to say is my favorite one. So, all right, very good. Well, that's Don't Be That Analyst. If you have a Don't Be That Analyst that you want to share, email us at leapodcasts at gmail.com. All right, Michelle, finishing up here, our last segment of the show is Words to the World. You can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Well, I am going to talk about Daring Greatly. So have you, Jason, have you heard about Daring Greatly? Brene yes. Brown? Yeah. So great book, Daring Greatly, and it it's, comes from the quote by Theodore Roosevelt. And I just love the idea about Daring Greatly. I want everybody, all the analysts in particular, but I mean, everybody to just dare greatly in your lives. And, and basically what the quote from Theodore Roosevelt says, that it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. Very good. Why well, leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later? <laughs> <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Michelle. Thank you talk, so talk much. Talk all you want about me, Jason. I don't have at it. Thank you, Jason. It was fun. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.